0: Hi, Matt here. Before the episode starts, I wanted to give fair warning that we had technical issues with today's recording, and our guest's sound is not as clear as we would like. Nevertheless, our guest, Reese Bowen, was such a pleasure to speak with and shares so many wonderful insights into her writing process that we're still very excited to share this episode with you. So, while this might not be an episode to listen to with your headphones on, we hope you enjoy it despite some less than stellar audio. Okay, here's the show. Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a biweekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This week, we are so pleased to be joined by the author of the Royal Spinous and Molly Murphy Mystery Series. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Reese Bowen. Reese, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
2: Yes, it's quite the honor.
0: (laughs) It it, it is. We're always so excited to actually speak to the authors of Cozy Mysteries, which are books that we talk about often on this podcast. And it's always such a treat to find out um, about how they're made, right? And the the craft behind writing them. So thank you so much for joining us today. We kick off every podcast with a little check-in around what's making us feel cozy this week
1: well i've just moved to a new house and um, it was sort of half furnished to start with and the temp- it's in arizona the temperature was not behaving and finally my sofa was delivered and thermal dress were delivered so i can close the thermal and i can get up on the sofa and that really is very nice indeed i can even put the mohair rug over me and then um, even though Arizona is not behaving itself and being warm and sunny, I am quite cozy. Well,
2: we're glad to hear that. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, you said it was a little bit of a stressful move, so it sounds like you're in a really cozy spot now, so it must, must be nice. <laughs> Finally,
0: yes. What's, what's your favorite thing about living in Arizona?
1: Well, usually when we come, it's really bright and sunny in the winter, and I can go to the pool every day and looking out on the mountain. I love the desert landscape, which is funny from someone who came from England, where it's cold mm-hmm. and rainy a lot. But I love looking out at the mountains and the cactus and the palm trees and everything. It's just a very exciting landscape for me all.
2: Do you write um outside?
1: Um well the house i have just moved into has um a, a room and a bathroom on the upper floor. Just just the one room and the bathroom and it has a balcony. So I'm looking forward to just taking my little chair through that door onto the balcony when the weather is going to be uh when the weather's going to cooperate and then I can sit and look at commands and look at the palm tree swing and that probably won't be conducive to getting on with my writing but I really should be just focusing on my computer
0: but it will be very <laughs> nice. So it'll be very calming that's for sure. Yeah it will. That's wonderful. So what's making me feel cozy this week is um, a book series that I just got the second um, entry in the series. It's, it's a young adult uh, book series called Arlo Finch, and it's written by John August, who is a screenwriter. He's most famous for writing the movies Big Fish, uh, Frank and Weenie. Just last year, he started releasing these books for kids, and they're basically the the plot of them is, um, it's all about Arlo Finch, who is a ranger. It's kind of like a a Boy Scouts organization. But he lives in um, Pine Mountain, Colorado, and there's something magical about that area, and it's not a regular sort of Boy Scout troop. They can kind of cross into a different dimension um, where there's magic and creatures. And and yeah, so I, I'm really enjoying it, actually. It's like the, it, it's kind of like a, it's it's a very Harry Potter-esque. Mm-hmm. But reading the second one, I kind of, I'm almost having like a, a second childhood reading it, <laughs> uh, like kind of the same feeling as I had when I was reading Harry Potter, just kind of excited to see how the world is unfolding and... I've just been really enjoying the the latest entry. And so if, if you are into that kind of thing um, or if you have kids and you're looking to recommend um, a new series, I, I I do recommend it. So the, the latest entry is uh, Arlo Finch in the Lake of the Moon. And the first uh, book was called Arlo Finch in the Valley of Fire. So um, if you kind of want to go back to your childhood days and kind of have that Harry Potter feeling, I recommend it.
1: I will certainly look those up because I love all the teenage books that were magical. You know, The Land, The Witch, and The Water, and Harry Potter, and The Hobbit, and all those. And so many YA books these days are so graphic, so dark, and, you know, are frightening, actually. And um, I, I like the ones where there is that magical element too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You get to be transported to a totally different place, and it's not, yeah, it's, it's not, you know... There are no sexy vampires in this one. It's just (laughs) (laughs) just like a good old uh, kids going into a totally different world of magic. I also like how the magic works in the book, which is it's called the wonder. And so basically the way that it justifies how adults never talk about or experience it is it's like this natural phenomenon that when you get older, you just don't see magic anymore, which I think kind of captures how people sort of lose their imagination as they get older. Some people... I really, I really like that mechanic for how the magic works. I thought it was very really clever, and yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a good entry. Plus, like the, the setting, which is in the mountains, these pine forests in Colorado, it's, it's like very calming, and I, I could just can picture it. It's a, a great location to set a series in.
2: Yeah, well, it's nice when books offer you a safe escape, and it sounds like that series definitely does it. So I'll have, I'll have to look it up too. It sounds up my alley as well. What's making me feel cozy this week is this TV show called The Resident. And it's a it's a medical show that takes place in Atlanta. And I've started to realize that medical shows, although they can present some, you know, difficult topics are cozy in the sense where they always take um, place in the same space, which is a hospital or clinic or what have you. They're always wearing the same outfits, which is scrubs. And the stories aren't necessarily that different from other medical shows. It's basically telling the same story, but just in a different city or different characters. And there's an actress I really like who's the lead, Emily Van Camp. And I think I just find her to be a a cozy actress. And um, a medical shows, I'm like I said, is starting to realize it's comforting in the sense where you know what to expect. Um, And there's not really many high. There are high stakes in the sense that you know it's life and death situations. In some cases, but um, there's no crazy twists or turns. As so I think, a lot of TV shows these days are always trying to get you or trick you or lead you in a different direction. And it sometimes it's just nice to have um, a show we're not following plots so closely, where if you turn your head for a second, you completely miss something. Um, and that it's you know, I in the past I wasn't that into medical shows, but as I'm getting older. It's just nice to turn on and I can walk away for a few seconds to get a a tea or a coffee. And I didn't really miss anything, you know, that that big.
0: It it sounds like the Hallmark Channel movie kind of phenomenon where you can just sort of play on your phone. Yeah. (laughs) While it's on and relax and not care, care too much about what you're watching. Yeah.
2: And it's it's weird to say, like, well, I want to watch a TV show. I don't have to watch. But um, (laughs) because I do watch so many shows with confusing plots. Uh, Which is nice, too, because you want to be intrigued and you want to stay curious. But at the same time, sometimes I just want to turn on the TV, watch something that's not mind numbing, but also something that I don't have to pay too closely attention to. And like I said, the actress Emily Van Camp, she's one of my cozy celebrities. I really enjoy her. So it's nice just enjoying the actors you're seeing on screen and just trying something new. So The Resident, it's on Hulu if you want to catch it. I'm sure it's on other channels as as well.
0: It sounds like it's uh, just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> Let, let's let's dive in, Reese. Let's let's talk about your books. We read uh, t- most recently the latest entry in the Her Royal Spina series, which is uh, four funerals and maybe a wedding, which is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> the first question we are asking every uh, author who comes on our podcast who who writes in in the genre of cozy mysteries. Um, is this, and we're curious to hear your thoughts, which is, what brought you to the cozy mystery genre? And then I guess as, as a, you know, an add-on to that, uh, how did you come up with the idea for Her Royal Spyness*?
1: Well, I've been, I grew up with the, all the ladies of the Golden Age, and you know, I read Adepa Christie, Niall, Marsh, Dorothy Sayers, all of those people, and they are the quintessential. Mm-hmm. I think cozy is a little demeaning term to it, maybe traditional mystery more, you know. There is no horrible gore and budget the drug deals in the background and the thing that's always attracted me to those is that they're, in many ways they're more real than a noir mystery if you're in the back streets of a town with someone and you're chasing a drug dealer you expect bad things to happen if you're in a cozy town in England or you're in a suburb somewhere and someone down the street is murdered mm-hmm. that's shocking that's d- disrupted the whole fabric of society and it's up to the sleuth to put that back together and so I think that's always been my mode of writing. In fact, when I started writing the Constable series, which was my first mystery series set in Wales, they were they were funny and they were cosy and they were also you know, they were also crimes. And all of my reviews said, "This delightful mystery, this charming mystery, this charming and delightful mystery." And I was getting rather annoyed that I wasn't being taken seriously. And so I said to my editor, "Okay, my next book is going to have cannibalism, satanism, and strewn body parts." And my editor said yes, and I bet they'll be very charming and delightful body parts. So I think <laughs> I think it's your your life outlook. You know, either you see the world as noir or you see it as cozy. And I think that's my you know that's my personality is that I want the world to be made right. I want the world to be whole. I want good things to happen. I want them to be essentially nice people in my books. You know, obviously my books have a villain in them, but often we we feel we we feel compassion for the person who's committed the murder. So I don't think I like um, dealing with you know, nasty people too much. Um, so I think that's why I've been attracted to Cozy's. I don't want to describe horrible gore. I don't want to describe really evil people. I, I want to describe a world I'd like to live in. That's just the sort of person I am. And her royal spiners I came up with because <laughs> I'd been writing the Molly Murphy mysteries, which are historical and they're set in New York in the early 1900s. And they're they're not really cozy. Some of them are quite dark, in fact. They're very, they're his, true to history, very, very historical. And um, my editor kept saying to me, We can't really break you out unless you write us a big, dark, standalone novel. And I kept thinking, Oh goodness, um, uh, child molesters, terrorists poisoning the water supply, serial killers. And then I'd turn on the television and I thought, Wait, do I want to spend six months with these people? So I dug my heels in and I thought, What would be the Heroin, heroine i possibly come up with. And I thought, mm-hmm. how about if she was royal? But she was penniless. And the 1930s are just such a fabulous setting because there's such an interesting turning point in history. So I came up with this idea and gave it to my editor, and she went, no, 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 this wasn't what I wanted at all, no. So it was put out to bid somewhere else, and um, it went to a, a very nice home, and I've been very happy with it ever since. Everybody else has loved it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, because like you said, you you ha- kind of had to lean in to how you how you saw the world in your own lens. Um, it seems like it just naturally your natural your natural outlook took you to the cozy mystery genre, which is is a, a nice way to come home ha- home to it. It's just just your personality. Um, and you mentioned, you know, earlier You liked uh, young adult novels, and you did write some young adult novels under your real name, Jana Quinn Harkin. So I'm curious as to why you decided to adopt a pen name for your mysteries.
1: Uh, Well, i had been writing a lot of young adult novels. They've been quite successful, and I felt I'd said everything I wanted to say about going to the prom and not going to the prom and having a best friend and losing a best friend and having a boyfriend and not having a boyfriend. Um, So I decided I wanted to do what I like to read, which was to write um, the the cozier type of mystery. And at that stage, both my agent and my editor said, you need to choose a new name or you'll be prejudged. They'll say, oh, she writes for kids and they won't take you seriously. So I had to choose a new name. And as I said, my first series was set in Wales, in uh, northern Wales in Snowdonia. And that's where my grandfather's family comes from, my grandfather comes from. And so I decided to use his name, which was re Oh,
2: yeah, that that's a, it's an interesting um, background story. I had no idea. Um, yeah, but I think it's a very practical reason to adopt a pen name because there, there is so much prejudgment in the publishing world and you don't want to get boxed in to a certain genre. So that's an, a simple solution to um, start
1: fresh. So you'll find that people do this often when, um, for example, if they've written one mystery series and it's come to an end for some reason or another, they've lost their publisher or their publisher, the editor's gone or something, when they want to do something else, they will come in with a new pen name because they don't um, they don't want to be judged on what they've done before.
2: Yeah, it makes That's sense. That's really
0: fascinating, yeah. It is funny when the, the whole, even the name Cozy Mystery, right, it puts everything into... It, it it does sound sometimes it can seem a little condescending, right? Like it's like you're in this little box of when you're writing very classical mysteries that are oftentimes more like puzzles and invite the reader to solve them with the sleuth versus like kind of dark noir, like del- deep dive into like dark criminal <laughs> underworld or the 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 deep recesses of the human psyche. I love cozy mysteries. It's like one of my favorite genres of books, but... Do you ever feel like it can feel like the authors in that genre are are boxed in or kind of like uh, put in like a a ghetto?
1: Yeah, I feel that we don't get the respect. that. uh, I think if you look at the the Edgars, um, I've actually been nominated twice, so I have to say I've I've been given my fair share of respect. But on the whole, the Edgars nearly always, the nominees are the very darkest of dark books. They're twisted characters they are um, violent plots. they're you know, they're the sort of places you wouldn't want to go. I don't want to go to those places. I, it, some of them are incredibly well written, obviously, but um, I just I want my world to be a world in which I feel safe, and so that that's the sort of world I write about. I, and actually, the Royal Finest series. The thing I like about it is they're funny. They're very therapeutic for me to write. I will often call out to my husband when I'm writing, "Hey, listen to what Queen's just said," or "Listen to what this." You know, I want to sit and chuckle at my computer. I find it absolutely
0: therapy. Absolutely. I feel that way, too. I mean, when I was reading um, the the latest Heroal spinus book, I would, I really, every night, I would just, like, be so excited to dive back into that world because the characters were so richly drawn, it was so funny, and it has such a clear sense of time and place, and it, it just sort of envelops you and, and, and takes you away. And, and so on that point, so... Uh, the Her Royal Spina series is set in uh, England in the 1930s. Um, and so it, it has that, that time and place. But also Georgie, our sleuth, is the cousin of King George V, who is um, the grandfather of Queen Elizabeth II. And so you have this, these real historical characters who are uh, occupying the same space as, as our hero. And so I'm curious to hear from you, like what opportunities present themselves when you're writing a mystery in this time period, and if there are any frustrations that come along with that when you write in a specific historical period.
1: Well, of course, the, the interesting thing is that she is royal, and she, she is cousin to King George, so um, there are plenty of real people who cross the pages of the book. Obviously, the one I have most fun with is The Prince of Wales and Mrs Simpson, because um, I love making her as, as obnoxious as she really was. <laughs> and and, um, uh, and the fact that her mother was a famous actress—I uh, mean, Georgie's mother was a famous actress. So the people that her mother meets can also be real people. Noel Coward has come into several of the books, and um, I find that fun to just have real people suddenly appear on the page. Because if I'm if I'm creating a character, she's living in a real world at a real time, and so real things would be happening. And she might well bump into Noel Coward at her mother's party and that sort of thing. So I enjoy doing that. I really like writing about the 30s because it was called The Long Weekend, and it's this period poised between two world wars. And you would have thought that World War I, which was the most horrific war we've ever had, um, would have changed society forever. But it, it didn't. People came back from those trenches, and they went back to their old way of life. In fact, the 1930s census, the biggest job category was still domestic servant. So people came back and they went to work in places like Downton Abbey again. So you've got this clinging to the past in many ways. Um, and you've got this complete um, division between haves and have-nots. Obviously, we've just gone through the Great Depression in my books. So you have people, um, some of the characters who still have a yacht on the med and they're drinking champagne from someone's car. And then you have other people who are lining up in a bread line at one of the stations in London or holding up some sort of sign saying accept any sort of work. People lost a limb or lost, you know, who were wounded in both body and spirit from from the war. So you've got this huge dichotomy. You've also got, uh, and I think, you know, all of my books, they might be funny, they might be light, but they're tied to a very real background. And the background in Europe is the struggle between communism and fascism at this time. Uh, we've only, by the book you're reading right now, Hitler is now taken over and taking control. Nobody in England believes he can laugh. They find him a funny little man. That, that, that ridiculous little man with his mustache is what they say. Um, they don't realize how much of a hold he's taking on Europe. And so I have to write with no foreshadowing at all. None of my characters can know another war is coming. Um, but gradually it seems that fascism is going to defeat communism in the western part of Europe at least um, but I do have this undercurrent going on that, that, that the, the world could be in a fairly serious state. so you know, I have to balance those two things
2: Yeah, um, that uh, lends itself into my, my next question because I'm, I'm definitely into historical fiction and historical events in, in general so when uh, Georgie is speaking with with Darcy about um, Max Georgie's um, Georgie's mom is set to marry Max, who is described as being uh, pally with the Nazis, and you know you really don't see historical events, uh, or at least you know especially with Nazi Germany, um, meshed in with a, a cozy mystery or a cozy a story with a cozy feel. And I think you do an excellent job of blending those those two um, difficult historical events with, um, you know, a, ni- a nice cozy mystery. So how do you manage to strike this balance when you, when you uh, start out writing the story?
1: It is a very fine line to walk all with, and I'm very conscious of that, especially as now we're, we're coming up to 1936, King George is going to die, uh, the Prince of Wales is going to become Edward VIII, the and then he's going to abdicate, and World War II is not that far in the future. So as I go into future books, um, how will I handle events that really are so uncozy, you can't believe it. Sometimes in a cozier street, uh, when they get really, really dark, it's kind of fun to make um, something really silly ha- um, out of them. You know, because Georgie's, Georgie's a little bit of a fuss, and she's a little bit of unlucky being in the wrong place at the wrong time sometimes. So, you know, I can see her in the future, um, uh, something funny happened. In the book before this which was called The Magistrate in the Secret Service, Georgie comes upon meeting a very high-up Nazis and Italians and um, Israel in a villa in Italy. And she gets trapped in a room in which really dark and difficult things are being spoken. She's hiding under the because She's trapped there. And, you know, there are all these legs around her. Someone will stretch out her leg and, and, and kick her and say, I'm sorry. And, and it's, it's Georgie there kicking. And um, you realize that she's in terrible danger here, but it, but it has to be written away a bit funny, too.
2: Yeah, and that that seems like a, a big task to take on. But like I said, um, I thought when I was reading, she did an excellent job of um, mel- melding those two. And it, it keeps it interesting So. Sometimes you know cozy mysteries can be very light and fluffy, which is why you're you know most people are attracted to them. But at the same time, it's nice to have that that substance there as, as well, and um, just to put put the story in the context of larger historical events. So I found that you know, particularly interesting.
1: Yeah, I think I'm lucky in that some cozy mysteries uh, limit themselves by their environment. It's like it's like a good sitcom. It starts off with the sitcom, you know, donut no shop to start with then you've exhausted all the possibilities of what can happen in a donut shop. You don't know where to go. Um, I'm lucky that Georgie does have this broader landscape. She can travel around. She has been, you know, I've set books in different countries. Um, she meets people from various levels of society. She meets people from the highest levels of society. So she isn't trapped in a very small environment like some cozy countries. And Interesting things can happen to her because she is, she does have a finger on the pulse of life in the 1930s.
0: Yeah, and she gets to you know occupy occupy space in in the broader world, and I think it's always like obviously there's there's a great pleasure in getting to relive history and and learn while reading as well. I mean, I, I think reading your book, I, I had kind of a similar feeling of that I had when I was watching uh, The Crown on Netflix. That was like which kind of gave me the it was like the primer for me <laughs> a little bit on on that time period and world, and getting to revisit those characters and and those intrigues was was really enjoyable. Including you mentioned the, the the issue with the Prince of Wales and uh Wallace Simpson. It's funny too how there's even parallels now, obviously much less controversially with um Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. <laughs> do you do you do you ever bring in or draw inspiration from uh current events and kind of uh bring that into the time period?
1: Um well it's interesting about Harry and Meghan Markle. Obviously I've already done twelve books, so you know, I my series was all going before I started. The other yeah. thing that's interesting is that um, I have um Less than, much less than six degrees of separation strange. One of my dad has actually gone to my daughter. and her daughter is married to a guy and his brother used to be married to Meghan Markle. So that's that's one. And then and then the other close contact is that my daughter down in LA is very good friends with Megmark. So I have inside mm-hmm. scoop on what happened with Meg <laughs> So I do have my work connections.
2: Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. That's an interesting little tidbit.
1: But um no, I mean it, it's interesting when you've got someone who is my background a commoner, and I think I think one of the reasons my my heroine Lady Georgie succeeds so well is that she is not wholly royal. Her mother was a commoner, and she's literally poised between two worlds. And so she's a little bit outsider in both of them. Her mother came from a very humble background, and her one grandfather um, used to be a London policeman, and he's a very humble guy who lives in a little house in the East part of London. And so she doesn't really belong in either world, and so as an outsider, she's an observer if you if you're completely at home in a world, you don't notice a lot of things. If it's if you're not completely comfortable then, you notice everything. so I think that's why she's a good swoop she's a good observer
2: yeah, it's very true, and um, I loved her inner monologue, especially when she was with the king and the and the queen and riding around in the car um, and also this media meeting up with them and the conversations they'd had. I, I really did laugh out loud as the, at the King's Dialogue as well. C- cranky, cranky little man. <laughs> um, <so> it, <laughs> it was a very fun yeah. read, um, especially where it concerns the discussions about fashion and all the rules of high society. Um, very, that was, those are very light topics. And they're also, you wrote with them, wrote about them with great detail. So I'm curious if those topics were already of interest to you and if they weren't, um, and you had to really research the style of the, the era, um, did you, how do you avoid getting swept up into the research aspect of your writing?
1: Oh, the, the answer to that is you don't avoid it. You, um, I just love the research aspect of it. Um, several things that I use. One of them is that I married a British aristocrat and I go and stay with his family and, um, his sister lives in a really gorgeous manor house, and um, uh, they do have cousins with funny nicknames. There's a very distinguished older cousin called Puff, <laughs> and she's really Lady Mary Virginia. But there are no Puffs coming to you, you know, and um, so I get lots of stuff from that. But also the things like um, fashion and those sort of things I've acquired as I do the series. I've acquired, for example, a lot of women's magazines from the Times so I can look and see what Fashion was, you know, this is what we're wearing to Ascot this year. And so I can actually describe real dresses because I have those magazines. I have, you know, and in those magazines too, it's, it's cookery from the time and, and helpful hints of this and that and who's doing what. Um, and I've got, of course, biographies of all the royals, etc. And so what I try to do when I have real people is I try and make them say something I know they really said or express an opinion I know they really had. So you know, I'm trying to create them as accurately as I can as they were in real life.
2: Yeah, which I definitely came across, and I, I felt like I learned a lot, a lot as well. Um, and I can imagine it's very, very fun to to research those things, especially you have the the magazines and really dive deep into that time period. I just know personally when I'm reaching researching something there are occasions where I get so into the research that I end up avoiding the writing, but it seems like you are able to strike a a nice balance for yourself.
1: I I reckon that um, I, of all the research I do, I use 10% But the fact that I know the other 90% makes it a richer book somehow. You know, I'm in London at least once a year and um, I go to the museums and sometimes they have exhibits of, wartime fashions or this sort of fashion or, you know, so, something that I can use. And, um, and there are some things, and things that really haven't changed the part of uh, St. James's, fairly close to where Georgie lives. You can go past and They still have, like, the gentleman's outfit and the, um, the pharmacy where you can get proper head shaving brushes and things. And they haven't changed since the 1800s. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, well, it's great. You can really step back in time in England if you want to.
0: But I, I am curious. I, want, I kind of want to loop back to something you said a little earlier about the the, the sitcom nature of a lot of cozy mysteries. Because what I thought was really remarkable and enjoyable about four funerals and maybe a wedding is how organically and out of the story the the mystery came 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 about. Like it, it just sort of it felt so organic to the time and place and and what Georgie was actually experiencing. Because to to give our listeners some context, um, Georgie has offered her godfather's country estate to live in and so she goes there to start planning her wedding and then when she arrives she immediately notices that something is just off about the staff there um, and then the mystery of that estate sort of unfurls itself from there i guess I, the question i have for you is uh was it your intention to break free of like because i reading a lot of, of mysteries i there's often that sort of like inciting incident of like the murder and that can happen so many times in the first like. 50 to 75 pages that starts off the adventure in a lot of mysteries were you mindful of that writing it or or how, how do you approach your story so that your, your writing process so that that comes about so organically
1: well i don't think i've ever written a mystery in which the murder takes place at the beginning um i, I know that if you read all the books on how to write a mystery they say the, the murder should happen within the 50 pages well not for me um i what i do is i start off with a situation for Georgie, I think, wouldn't it be interesting if she inherits this big country house, and when she gets there, um, the staff is incredibly weird, thinks, well, this isn't normal, and what's happened, and then you get this tiny hint of danger with this. Why? Why? Who doesn't want me here, and why, and what has happened, and you gradually put pieces of the puzzle together, but I don't outline, so I like to start not knowing very much, and then. Uh, gradually, as Georgie things happen to her, it all becomes a stranger. So really, I let her lead, and I just— I'm strange. No, I let her lead and I just follow. And um, every every book is different. The one before that, on Her Majesty's Rightly Secret Service, Georgie goes to this um, this house party on, on Lake Maggiore in Italy, and um, uh, there's a, a very interesting cast of characters there, including her mother, including a really really awful. German, who is trying to seduce Georgie, and um, and I thought, well, someone's going to have to die here, and then somebody does, you know, so I'm <laughs> quite surprised. Um, but I think if I planned it all out ahead of time, it would be a competent book, but it wouldn't be nearly as fun, because I'm having fun. I'm, you know, at the beginning, I often don't know who's going to die. I don't know what's going to happen to Georgie. I have some sort of hints that I'd like to happen, but she doesn't always agree when I tell her what she's got to do, so um, so it's an interesting journey for
2: me. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like um, you've really played around with the the, the format. It does it seem like it's very, very natural because I find when a murder happens right in the beginning, it does, it can occasion feel a little bit forced, but like Matt had mentioned, the mystery does really un- unfold quite quite naturally. And um, it, it almost reminded me of one of those murder, murder mystery parties, cause, you know, they're in this beautiful manner but there's this sense of um, um the ominous feel going on especially with all the different staff members Plunkett, and um it was just a great cast of characters and i i loved this, the setting of it it was very interesting um, so it was a nice change of pace for for me personally and, and i think matt as well um because we've read a lot of cozy mysteries we're right off the gate right off the gate someone's someone's dead but it was nice to set, set the tone here well
0: and also if it's if it's yeah. surprising to the author it's definitely going to be surprising to the reader
1: yeah, well, that's what I feel too. You know, if, if I don't want to be a puppet master saying to saying to my characters, "Right, in this scene, you're going to say so and so," because they, you know, they never obey anyway. They start saying things I didn't expect them to, and then we've gone in another direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think for me, the environment really drives the mystery, and and I've been so many different environments. You know, we've had Malice at the Palace, in which um, it was Princess Marie Prince George's room, which was a real event, and. Georgie is asked to sort of keep an eye on Princess Marina, and then someone's found dead. And it's based, it was based on a real um, person who was uh, a girl who was mistress of Prince George before and was known as the girl with the silver syringe because she took cocaine. And she's found dead there. Yes. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm really basing quite closely on things that have really happened. And um, so, I have a lot of scope where I can go in very different directions. It's not just always, you know, someone is found dead in the same place and this time it's because x y and z um sometimes we don't find anybody dead for a couple of hundred pages that's just how i write <laughs> yeah
0: and you, you you avoid the the cabot cove syndrome right of yeah
1: absolutely
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was refreshing it seems like your writing process is extremely organic and i'm curious uh what advice do you have for those who might be in the the process of writing a cozy mystery, or who aspire to write cozy mysteries?
1: I think the advice that I give to anybody who writes any sort of fiction is you have to love the place you're in. I mean, if you want to write about a knitting shop, it should be because you love to knit, and you love to be around people knit. So I think if you love what you do, it comes through all the pages, and you'll have a fun time. If I love, I know my reason to love. Um, so I think that's the main mystery.
2: Yeah, I think that's a it's a very you know good point. It's a thing is true in anything that you do in life. You have to um, and enjoy what you do and in some cases or a lot of cases people can't you know do what they love but if it comes hand in hand that's great and you have to like your characters which I assume you know Georgie is a very fun character but who's also very forward-thinking and like you mentioned is, is quite observant and intelligent so um, she's such an enjoyable character I'm sure she was fun for you to write.
1: Yeah and I think also you say she's observant but she's intelligent But she's also quite vulnerable. She doesn't really have Mm -hmm. anybody in the world she can rely on until, at this stage, she's finally going to marry Darcy. But until now, she's been pretty much alone. Because her brother and her dreadful Mm -hmm. sister-in-law really made it clear that they don't want a family home. She has no money of her own. And her friend, Belinda, has lived a very wild life. So she is someone who doesn't really have much backup. She's now got the grandfather, too, that she's reconnected with. But... um, uh, in a lot of these mysteries, she is a vulnerable character. and I think that's what makes her so interesting, too, is that she's not the comp- competent solution who says, oh, now we'll solve everything like oh good something terrible has happened here i wonder what it could
2: possibly be yeah she's even a little bit speaking of vulnerable she does have also a sense of insecurity you know she's talking to um belinda about how uh, she doesn't think she would look great in this wedding dress and she worries she's going to trip down the aisle she doesn't want the king and queen to be watching her going walking down the aisle and that was also a nice quality to have because it makes her very real um, she has those insecurities.
1: Well, if you've read some of the, some of the earlier books, she's had a few, um, a few disasters in, um, in uh, clumsiness or in um, uh, doing the wrong thing at the mm-hmm. wrong time. There was, there was one in the very first book when she has a very brief and disastrous modeling career <laughs> which mm-hmm. she's supposed to put on this outfit very quickly. And she puts it on and it feels very weird. It's very tight over her hip and it, the buttons behind her neck. When she tries to walk out, she's taking tiny little steps. And then she realizes that actually it's culottes and she's in half of it. Oh, man. That's amazing. Well, anyway, when my editor said this, she said, I think we need to take out that scene. It's just too unbelievable. And I said, it happened to me. (laughs) That was my brief and disastrous modeling career.
2: Yeah, you can't argue with that. (laughs) Well,
1: Well, what's next for Georgie? As we know that we hope by the end of this book that she gets married. So the next book, is going to be um, her honeymoon, which is going to be in Kenya, in Africa. And um, we're taking her and, oh. her and Darcy up there to the British colony, where a group of British aristocrats were living a very decadent lifestyle. And of course, Georgie is so naive and so unworldly. We're suddenly going to this place where bed-hopping is just uh, a way of life and where everybody drinks and takes drugs and everything. So poor Georgie's going to find herself in, uh, a little bit out of her element. And, um, the title, it, we already have a title and a cover. The title is Love and Death Among the Cheetahs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it.
2: Yeah, sounds fun.
0: And are you, are you writing that right now or are you working on, um, a different no, piece? No, that's, that's already written. Oh, okay, that okay. comes out in August. That's right. You said be what,
1: what I'm writing right now, I also write, um, I've written in the past few years some big historical standalone novels. Um, and the latest one called The Victory Garden came out this week and, um, I've been enjoying being number one on Amazon for a few days. So
2: oh, congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Yeah,
1: thank you. Uh, and so I'm writing the next of those right now, which will be about Queen Victoria. I'm sort of going back in time with
2: it. I'll have to pick up, uh, pick up a copy because I am yeah, definitely, like I said, interested in his, historical fiction. And um, you sound it's like you, like I said, the research really jumps off the page and it brings you in um, to the time and place. So. Um, yeah, looking forward to that. Once again, congratulations on your success with that.
0: It's, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining us
1: today. Well, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed it too. I, I, I'm always a person who enjoys chatting My my husband always told me it's hard to shut
2: me up. We can listen to you all day. No,
0: exactly. Um, And and so where can people actually follow up with you online to hear about the latest book that's coming out or connect with you on social media? Well,
1: I do have a website, which is just www.reecebowen.com. But if you want my daily um, news and musings and thoughts, um, I would suggest my Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com. And then it's author and then you have to click like to find out whether I mean this correct
0: this one excellent so so be sure to check out Reese there and follow up with all of her latest releases again thank you so much for joining us well
1: thank you thank you both thank you. really
0: enjoyed it if you're listening back to this episode there might be an issue with the audio because we were using some new apps at the time and
2: it's a work in progress it's a work
0: in progress so the candle review so today we are burning a Trap fragrance candle, and I love the name. Tra- I, th- I think of like trap queen,
2: yeah, trap music,
0: trap music. Yeah, is
2: that the phrase?
0: Yeah, trap, oh. like trap house, oh, okay. like a trap house. You know what I mean, Julie. Very
2: from, I can't know me, my trap music.
0: It's a trap fragrance candle, and uh, the scent is number 25, lavando de Provence.
2: So, oh, you sounded very French.
0: The reason I have this candle is uh, our former guest and friend of the podcast, Sean Brewster put these candles on his Instagram as kind of a, a joke. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because the advertising for these candles is, quote, a bottle of perfume in every candle, which sounds like a threat to <laughs> me. It does not sound like a promise. Um,
2: yeah, and I don't, want, I don't like perfume scents.
0: Right, and so, so. <laughs> but, you know, we have to branch out occasionally. We can't mm-hmm. always do the Bash minerals. <laughs> we have to do some florals. Here's lavender. It's a floral scent. Boy, is it ever a floral scent. It's a, it's a lavender. You get, you're get you getting lavender strong. I believe the bottle of perfume in every candle. It is like blast and lavender in this it room. It smells
2: like Fruity Pebbles.
0: Oh, it does smell like Fruity Pebbles. Yeah, there is a candy sort of aspect to this candle. I don't
2: really like Fruity Pebbles. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it smells like Fruity Pebbles. I don't like Fruity Pebbles.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I always like those chocolate cereals. I don't. Or I, I was
0: I was much more of a uh, Count Chocula. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what were those called again? The it was cocoa,
2: cocoa puffs,
0: cocoa puffs. So they're cocoa puffs. Cocoa puffs. But then there's the other one that's like fruity pebbles, but it's chocolate.
2: Oh, cocoa pebbles, right?
0: It's cocoa pebbles. Yeah. yeah. I loved cocoa pebbles.
2: Yeah, me too. Those are really good.
0: I like them more than cocoa puffs. Cocoa puffs were so hard. You know what I mean? But they were good. They hurt your gums.
2: Especially when you got to the end and they weren't like completely soggy, but they're just in that right mm-hmm. sweet spot. Clearly, my parents gave us a lot of cereal. When I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember we had friends come over and they were allowed to have cereal and they were like little crack addicts. Mm-hmm. And I, that's how if I thought, you know, I ever have kids. I'm going to give them all the cereal they want because I don't want them to be the kids who go over to someone else's house and like their eyes are glazed And over. just lose control. <laughs> and lose control. Yeah. yeah it's, no, no offense. I don't want to shame any parents who don't give their kids cereal everything in moderation but yeah yeah.
0: you do you you do what's best for your family i will say to to echo your point when i was growing up i had my best friend had his uh mom had very strict rules for when Mm -hmm. he could watch tv which i respect Mm -hmm. i really do i think that I, i i like that she cared and really thought about that but here's here's my experience with that is that I had no restriction with TV and so it was nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Same. You know, I could, I could pay attention to a TV. I could not, it could be on, it could be off. I don't care. It doesn't, it, it's not special. It was not special to me at all. And so it was so special to him that whenever a TV would be on, and this is when we were in elementary school, quite young, it, he would be transfixed. Lost, lost yeah. in Couldn't it. Couldn't
2: talk to him. Couldn't
0: talk to him. He, yep. he, it, it was just, it would just suck him right in. And that's, you know, when you make something so forbidden, like cereal or TV to kids, they fetishize it. Mm-hmm. It becomes this big deal. Yeah. And you it kind of has the opposite of the intended effect, which actually it means it matters more to them than it ever did. Yep. It ever would have if you just normalized it. So, again, I don't have kids. Everyone listening to this podcast shows kids, and it was way more than I do. So don't, yeah. d- you know. But take, just
2: my, I had to think, stay you know. It's
0: my, it's my lived experience. Consider, like, letting your kids do all, <laughs> you know, eat all the sugar they want. Watch all the TV they want, and they'll and they'll maybe one day they'll have a podcast about cozy stuff.
2: Yeah, but that's why I think we were so well versed in our cereals We're just having a I knew exactly the cereal. talk about cocoa pebbles, I know it all. Yeah.
0: We should just we'll sort of <laughs> spin-off podcast. Yeah. All things cereal. <laughs> anyway, this candle. I mean, it's just not my
2: cup of tea. Cup of
0: tea. I I, I feel like our our go to with these sorts of candles is bathroom. I'll put this in the bathroom. It'll it'll make the bathroom smell not like a bathroom
2: but what positive thing i guess i'll say about it is that it does bring up some spring vibes and if you oh, yeah. want like an a cl- I wouldn't say it's a clean scent too perfumey for that but if you want to shift from your winter scents, this might be a good mm-hmm. step in that direction but i will have to say i want this candle off <laughs> 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 I, want it, I want it out so um no fruity pebbles for me i'm gonna have to say <laughs> i'm gonna give it Zero wicks.
0: Zero wicks is a harsh one. I think it's doing what it meant to do. It's giving me a bottle of perfume. I'm going to give it half a wick.
2: Yeah, because, you know, if you really like this scent, then it it does its job as a good throw.
0: Yeah, it's making me feel a little sick.
2: But, yeah, so for that reason, I'm going to say
0: zero. Yeah, half a wick rating. Uh, Burn (laughs) at your own risk. All right, so that does it for this episode. Um, Before we close out, we have a shout-out.
2: We received a lovely Facebook message from... Stephen Tuggle on Facebook in late January and he sent us just a really sweet message. Um, you know, uh saying that he enjoyed the podcast. We really appreciate those kinds of messages. Keeps us going. And it's just nice for someone to take out the time in their busy day to write us a nice note. So I just want to thank Stephen for that.
0: Yes, thank you Stephen.
2: Yes. Thank that w- you. It was really
0: nice to read and you always love it when you reach out to us and um share share what you're enjoying. Mm-hmm. It always feels good. Um, And if you are also in that mood, we'll never say no to an iTunes review. That's five stars, so we'll read it even out loud on the podcast. So Mm -hmm. if you're in the mood, go to iTunes and leave us a review. We always appreciate it. Um, That does it for today. had a really informative interview with Reese. It was really great chatting with her.
2: Thank you, guys. Yeah,
0: thank you, Reese, for coming on uh, and talking to us about your craft. And we'll be back in two more weeks. Until then, stay cozy. (laughs)